Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Geek Warning from the Escape Collective. I'm James Huang. I'm here with Escape Collective technical editor Dave Rome in Sydney, Australia. Hi, Dave. Hello. Uh, and right next to me here at the Boulder Groupetto workshop in Boulder, Colorado, is pro mechanic Zach Edwards. Hi, Zach. Hello. Uh, Ronan is still on paternity leave for just one more week, though. So we should have him back on the show uh, for his triumphant return, hopefully, uh, next week. So hopefully he's done well. He's not done changing diapers, but hopefully he's had his fill of diapers for at least a little while anyway. <laughs> so we have an excellent show today as always, including news of a new bike from Trek, some new wheels from Bontrager. Uh, I guess I could have said that we have new bike and wheels from Trek because Bontrager is part of Trek. Anyway, uh, we also have an interesting new gravel tire from Maxxis. Uh, Supercaz is apparently expanding into yet another accessory category. Uh, and we'll do a bit of a deep dive into Columbus's new Tritico internal cable routing system. Uh, how's everyone doing this week? Dave, you still look a little sleepy. I mean, it's uh, it's 7 a.m. here, uh, and I'm not a morning person. So, yes, uh, I'm a little sleepy, but it's all good. It's all good. I'm happy to be here. Yes. Cool. Uh, Zach, we just finished up a long holiday weekend here in the U.S. How was your Labor Day? Yeah, it was good. Uh, I actually rode by your house the other day. I was up in, up in Ned Riding. I oh, think nice. I rode by on Saturday morning. I guess you were probably here, though. No, I was riding as oh. well. Oh. I, actually, I kind of wonder if I saw you, because we... Were you maybe coming back into town at like 9.30, 10 ish, something like that? Something like that, yeah. Were you on a hardtail or a, no. like a super caliber or something? Yes, or? a super cal. I think that was you. Yeah, probably. Okay. Were you, were you coming back from like the yeah. high school area? Yep. Okay. That was yeah, definitely, that was you. definitely me. Question. How about that? Uh, Zach, did yes. you see James? I don't know that I saw James. Oh, I, okay. I actually yelled out Zach. Oh, okay. And I don't I feel like it was. Did he look fast? A, hol- a holiday weekend and there's so many people out. There were so a lot of people. Eventually, you kind of just like stop uh, trying to like make enough. out who everyone is across the other side of the fair road. Enough. I prefer I prefer to think that Zach did actually know that it was me calling him out or calling his name, and he just ignored me. Yeah, fair. that's also possible. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was just going to ask if if you thought each other looked fast, but if if Zach didn't see you, James, and it, it doesn't work. Well, I was, was I was too fast to see. I was going uh, uphill, so I definitely was not okay. going fast. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Uh, Dave, uh, D- spring is coming for you, isn't it? Uh, yep, yep. It started uh, a few days ago. Um, rudely, I first day of spring, I I left the house early morning for a ride. I'm like, it's spring now. I don't need gloves or or knee warmers, and uh, I was far too optimistic. Hmm. It's never fun. Yeah, it was partly because I just come from you know the United States where it was super hot, and I thought that that internal body warmth that I'd. Uh, suffered through for three weeks would would carry me through the cold of of being back in a winter climate but uh it did not oh and it wasn't even all that hot in portland either but it gets plenty hot in sydney you'll mm-hmm. have your fill i'm sure oh yes very much so mm-hmm. uh well let's uh let's go ahead and di- just dive straight into the news today shall we um first up is this new bike from trek uh dave you've got the whole skinny on this thing what are what do we have here yeah, so it's, uh, I believe it's actually Trek's best-selling drop bar model, which is the Demane AL. Uh, and I reviewed one of these a few years ago when they when they last updated it, just prior to COVID. Uh, and I was blown away by how versatile this bike is. So it's it's their entry-level, most basic road bike, um, low-level low and uh, aluminum platform. Uh, it was disc brake last time. It's now disc brake only, even more so. Uh, and yeah, it's just a really versatile platform. So they've got a really great endurance style geometry, which is a super approachable geometry. Nice, nice tall stack, short reach on it. 
but the previous version was very generous with its tire clearance. It could fit about a 38 mil, and this new one can now fit a 40, which is pretty wild for an entry-level road bike. I'm surprised they don't just call it like a gravel bike. Yeah. It's like gravel light. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, if you like your marketing terms, it's definitely an all-road bike. Uh, It comes with 32 mil tires, but yeah, it sort of seems, you know, assuming the gearing is acceptable for where you live and you don't mind a bit of toe overlap, then there's nothing really stopping you from doing gravel on this bike. Uh, If I understand correctly, this is also lighter than the previous version. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, being an entry-level bike, the, the previous version was not light uh i the the tiagra version i reviewed i think was about 10.4 kilograms without pedals this new one uh it claims to be about 220 250 grams lighter for the frame and fork so yeah you'll be at about 10.2 kilograms for a a tiagra bike now which is still not light but uh most bikes at this price point aren't anymore uh you said something about versatility so i'm assuming that theme kind of carries forward here with Mm-hmm. mounts and that sort of thing what 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 do we have here for sure so yeah so there's there's a uh, rack and fender mounts there's a little bento box uh, mount on the top tube uh but yeah you can sort of use it as a commuter if you want you can use it for um carrying stuff it's it's seems pretty capable uh that that in that element that's not new they've done that previously on the demand al but uh it's good to see them continuing that uh, if I understand correctly, this is Trek's first road bike with UDH too, right? Yeah. So that that's interesting because when Trek rolls out a new feature like that, they tend to keep rolling it out until every bike in their range has it. So yeah, this is this is their first drop bar bike to go to the Universal Derailleur Hangar. Uh, and dare I say it won't be the last. Um, certainly Trek, for me, it's really interesting because Trek have had a, a pretty long-standing relationship with SRAM. So if you think way back to like Boost, uh, Trek were the first to do that with SRAM. Uh, so yeah, they they sort of are pretty early movers when it comes to adopting tech on the SRAM side of things. And I think this is probably a, another sign of that, that they're perhaps the first major manufacturer to put it on a road bike. And I, I suspect we'll see more of it. Uh, Zach, I'm kind of curious to hear your take on this a little bit. From a visual standpoint, I know some people have objections to UDH, particularly on metal bikes, just because it's kind of bulky. Um, but from a functional standpoint, I mean, can you think of any downsides to a bike running UDH? Not really. I mean, I know like one of the arguments is it pushes the rear end out a little bit wider. Um, so potentially if you have like really big feet or something, then you could rub, get some heel rub on the chain stays. Um, but besides that, like functionally, it it's great and works really well. And then future proof for whatever drivetrains are in the works and have you had a pretty good time actually getting hold of replacement ones when you need them there was definitely a bit of time where they weren't really available which was annoying so like an maybe universal but not so available really yeah. i mean there are also like third-party companies that make them in the same shape right um but yeah for the most part there i don't see why you wouldn't if you're coming out with a new bike why you wouldn't go this route yeah that's kind of where i'm at too yeah, I think there are some chain line considerations, especially as chain chain stay lengths get shorter, which uh, perhaps need to be addressed, or perhaps the industry knows what the new chain line might be for the drop bar version of a transmission. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly that you know, currently it's fifty five millimeters for the for the mountain bike transmission, and that doesn't work so well on 
such a short chain stay, but that's probably the big question that we're yet to answer. But otherwise, it seems like a a cool thing. And and yeah, just to just to be clear, it is UDH. It's it's the exact same rear derailleur hanger as the mountain bikes. Hence the term universal. Yeah, uh, Dave. What about cable routing? What has Trek done here? Have they kept it the same, or have they changed it? What? What? Is, uh, they've like messed now? it up, James. They've messed it up. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, I mean they've cleaned it up, but in turn they've messed it up. Uh, so yeah, it's now through the headset. Which, to be clear, I don't mind on bikes that are hydraulic disc brake with wireless shifting. I'm quite okay with a lot of systems there. But this is an entry-level road bike that's still running mechanical shifting. Uh, and I don't like that. I, I don't think it's necessary. It's it's an aesthetic thing. And I'm sure Trek have figured out that they're going to sell more bikes because of it. But unfortunately, the people buying these bikes are going to have bigger service bills over the lifetime of that bike as a result of this decision. All right, Zach, I've got a, I've got a shock-related question for you here. So the, the entry-level Domani AL is $1,200 US. comes with Shimano Claris. And mechanical shifting, everything runs through the headset. Um, let's say someone needs a headset service. Uh, they're riding in the rain. Let's let's say they live in the UK. They live up in the Pacific Northwest, whatever. Um, that bike at $1,200, if someone needed to have their headset replaced, what sort of bill are they looking for? I mean, that's the thing I think with, like Dave saying he's okay with it on or hydraulic with electronic drivetrains, right? Is like, the labor is the same whether the bike is $15,000 or $1,200. Like it takes the same amount of time to pull it apart, arguably more time because it has shift cables as well. So I think like, I don't know, and it's probably cheaper headset bearings that are going to wear out faster. And I think like in the long run, if someone is actually riding this bike, then it is going to cost a lot more to keep serviced and maintained and everything than what like the same bike with externally routed cables would be which I think is kind of, I don't know, kind of shitty. That that's like the way the industry is going, that we're more concerned with aesthetics than keeping this customer happy long-term. Well, because in terms of how much time and labor we're looking at just for that sort of thing, it's, I mean, easily a couple hundred bucks, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends on like, a lot of times you're like, let's say you're pulling that bike because the headset needs service, then at that point, it's like, okay, it's already all coming apart. So we might as well replace the shift cables and housing and everything while we're in there rather than like you having to come back in two months because then the shift cables also need replaced. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like once it's open, then you might as well tear into it more. Um, I mean, the positive on like a bike like this, it doesn't have an arrow handlebar that has all the things routed through the bar and then through the stem. It just is like a normal, normal bar and then pops in the headset cap which is a little bit easier to service, but still like, and then you need new bar tape and it's just, you know, yeah. it's just kind of annoying. Like if you're spending $1,200 on a bike, this isn't the kind of like repair build that you want to have to deal with. No. And uh, like, I've seen arguments about this thing, like, oh, well, how often do you have to replace a headset bearing? And true in the past, you didn't have to replace it so often, but now there's gaping holes leading to the headset bearing for the right. cables. So you're going to have to replace the headset bearing more than you ever did in the past. Uh, so yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's the way things are going and it looks cool. People will buy it, but I just, yeah, the thing here is we, we need to raise, raise awareness and it's up to shops to, you know, if they've got a, an alternative option to this bike to point out that one is probably going to cost more to service in two or three years time. 
Well, and it's a bummer for shops too, because obviously they want to sell more of these bikes because they are in the business of staying in business, right? Mm -hmm. And particularly if it's like kind of a modern generation truck shop where they mostly have truck bikes, they might not have another option at that price point to show someone. So it's not really in their interest to tell the customer, hey, this is a $1,200 bike. It's got this and that and whatever. Oh, by the way, as soon as you need a headset service, you're looking at another two or 300 bucks in labor. Yeah, and especially with Trek's business model, right, where they, they basically own all their uh, – well, not all, but they own a huge number of their bike shops these days. So those shops are not going to mention a competitive product. So, yeah, hopefully hopefully this message can get out in front of the, the consumers buying this bike and – I'll have one of these bikes to review soon, and and that's certainly something that I'll be mentioning in the review. Um, despite the fact that you know, given past experience with this model, I'm sure otherwise it'll be a great bike. Mm, yeah, right. and it's just like unfortunate. I think that that's kind of the way that it's all going, whether you want it or not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure a specialized entry level bike is going to go this way, and well, so is every other. They they just updated that, and it didn't. Oh, there so we go. we're good for another two or three years. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, unfortunately, it really does feel like kind of beating a dead horse on our end because I think we talked about how our we talked about our feelings mm. uh, on internal cable riding quite a bit here. And mm. but it's well, it's it's a uh, it's one that we just keep getting new horses on, and we'll just. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 The fresh horses keep coming in. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Also new from Trek today, uh, from their Bontrager component and wheel range, Bontrager is getting into thermoplastic wheels. So uh, I think we've mentioned before that uh, the vast majority of carbon fiber bike wheels that are out on the market are thermoset carbon fiber, which is um, just kind of the traditionally the way that that's all been done. It's basically a a carbon fiber is cured in an epoxy that is permanently cured. So you can't really do anything about that. Thermoplastic, you can kind of heat it up and kind of redo stuff with it. So you can kind of chop it up and melt it and reuse it again, sort of. Um, so we have from Braun Traeger, a new AOLIS Pro 37V and 49V all-road and gravel wheel sets. Uh, so to be clear, both wheel sets are intended for both all-road and gravel. Uh, and Braun Traeger is calling this material OCLV Next, which is a, quote, smoother, stronger, greener, and better carbon wheel, unquote. Uh they're pretty reasonably light, uh, definitely wide for sure. Uh, the 37V is 25 mil internal, 31 mil external, 37 mils uh, deep. Claim weight's 1,465 grams, not too bad. Uh, the 49 mil deep one is also 25 mil internal, 33 mil external, claim weight of 1,555. Uh, they're both hooked, uh, which is interesting. Uh, tubeless, of course. Um, other common features, they use Bontrager's own Rapid Drive 108 road uh, rear hubs, uh, I guess front and rear hubs, uh, DT Swiss Aerolite bl- bladed spokes. Um, yeah, kind of interesting. They're aero optimized for 28C tires, um, but very much intended for road and gravel. Um, yeah. Hmm. Curious. Zach? I've been riding these wheels for the past few months. Oh my God, but they just came out today. How is I that know, possible? Right. And they're pretty sweet. Like they're light and they're plenty stiff and they like aren't overly harsh i would say like they're not like mega stiff beat you up type of deep wheel um i've been riding them off-road and gravel tires like 38 mil and smashing them into rocks and haven't broken them so all pretty sweet yeah they're not terribly priced either they're 1700 us for the pair uh which seems pretty competitive these days it also comes with uh bontrager's lifetime warranty so that's pretty good too um 
And yeah, I mean, I think uh, the rod quality is very similar to other thermoplastic wheels that I've ridden. Um, maybe like a very, very slight decrease in vibration, but it definitely does seem softer when you're like really hitting stuff. Um, what is particularly interesting, I think, about these Bond Trigger wheels is that like, as far as I know, every other thermoplastic carbon bike wheel that's out on the market right now, these are actually manufactured for Trek or Bond Trigger uh, by CSS Composites out in Utah. Um, Bontrager's own design, I'm sure. Um, but it is a CSS composites rim. Um, so the other competing wheels that are out on the market in that category at the moment, uh, Chris King has that ARD 44. Um, I know, uh, CSS obviously has its own brand for, uh, Forge and Bond for at least a gravel wheel anyway. Um, but I suspect that this is just going to be the start of a, a thermoplastic wave for gravel too. Uh, question on that. If every if CSS is making everyone's rims, what are they doing to differentiate them? That is a good question, Dave. I've asked mm. them this before, actually. And um, CSS is super, super tight-lipped about their process because it's apparently very highly automated, has pretty minimal manual labor. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the really big things, like kind of big appeals about it is that the process also has very little waste because it's so automated and robotic and... Um, you know, like one of the things that that Bontrager talks about is that there's no deburring required, there's no sanding required after the thing comes comes out of the mold. So, um, you know, they're saying it's a like up to a 95% decrease in volatile organic compounds of so VOCs. Um, like you know, workers don't really have to deal with carbon dust that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we since CSS has their own proprietary process, which um, they kind of have their own layup to a certain extent. I'm not really sure exactly how much differentiation there can be, uh, aside from shape. Yeah. Um, it's probably really like shape though. versus like, and then like strength and weight, right? Like yeah. They, I mean, you can specify that. Like if you're bond trigger going to them being like, we want it to be X durable and roughly in this weight ballpark. Yeah, for sure. But it does seem like it's becoming more of a commodity item. Um, it's almost like it's I mean I I guess realistically it's not all that different from what we see in the automotive space because you know you might have a car that says Ford on it but um you know that car and a Honda might have the same internal components from you know that are shared from some third party supplier um so it's not entirely unusual I think in this case it's just a little bit unusual that we that we know pretty easily who's making the stuff yeah. um but either way, I mean, it does seem like it should be a pretty good wheel overall. I mean, there I don't see too many downsides to it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Zach? I think it'd be, um, like, previously the wheels that they made are the Chris King ones, their own, and then Revel wheels. And I feel like those are all relatively small companies. So I think it'll be interesting, like, mm. how much more volume and how many more, like, thermoplastic wheels are out on the market because it's Trek, right? Like, they're going to have so much more reach and just like going to come stock on a million bikes and whatnot. So it'll be kind of interesting. Like, can they keep up mm. or like if they've have to like really ramp up their production facilities in order to keep that meet, like meet that demand. I mean, I would have to guess that Trek is probably pretty good at forecasting at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least, at least better than most, I think. And I would also have to think that Trek wouldn't have entered into this sort of arrangement without some sort of reassurances that CSS could keep up with whatever they expected the volumes would be. 
Yeah. Are we 100% sure it is CSS making these yes. rooms? Yes. Yes. Bontrager okay. did confirm with me that they do, are made Do we by know CSS. where the wheels are being assembled? Uh, there is being assembled in the US. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, good on yeah. Me. So, so okay. CSS, is, CSS is making the rims for Bontrager in Utah. Yeah. And then they are being shipped to Waterloo for oh, assembly. Okay. Cool. That's uh, yep. good to know they're not being shipped back and forth around the world then. Um, <laughs> no, that, and that's actually one of the things that, that Bontrager talked about in terms of um, being a, you know, a greener wheel. So in addition to there being less waste product associated with ma- making the rim itself, um, there is less transportation involved, at least, yeah. you know, getting it to the, to the home warehouse and assembly and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that all seems like good things to me. I mean, they're maybe not as light as they could be if they were a thermoset. Yeah. Um, but for that sort of wheel, I'm not sure that customer is super, super weight conscious anyway. Yeah. My, my only thoughts on this is that, uh, Bontrager Trek, they've actually been really um, progressive, I'd say. They're, they've probably been the market leader as far as bringing carbon wheels to the masses down to an attainable price point. So if you think about like their, uh, what was it? What's their mountain bike wheel called? The something pro. Line. The yeah, the line, or- the line Pro, yeah. uh, that, yeah, that trail, trail wheel. That was, that was like one of the first carbon mountain bike wheels to really drop the price point down to like a pretty low level while giving like a, a really, really good warranty. Like they, they pushed pretty much all of their competitors to drop prices uh, and to improve warranty. So yeah, the, the state of play at the moment in carbon wheels is, is because Trek forced that market. And I think this is quite an interesting move because if they're doing thermoplastic at seventeen hundred, eighteen hundred dollars, uh, yeah, sorry, I think it's eighteen hundred. Excuse me, yeah, eighteen hundred uh, for a pair with a really good warranty. It it's almost uh, yeah. I, I just don't know where the more premium brands sit amongst this now because they're if they're using the same technology with the same rim and the only differentiation they have is is in the hub. Uh, it kind of sets us like this price limit for css moving forward uh yeah it's it's interesting like flash and bond i, I think their their wheels with an entry-level i9 hub are about 2200 dollars uh which you know it's not a huge difference but i i just think it's it's interesting if that yeah if trek are pushing this price point down it'll it'll be interesting to see where like the likes of chris king and revel and and etc can sell these wheels in the future well it- yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, Dave, because I actually did talk to – so I have a set of those Chris King wheels that I need to finish up the review on, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually did talk to Chris King, um, the company, not not the man. Uh, <laughs> but I talked to them about uh, kind of how they felt about them having a wheel that is – or having a rim that's not only made by a third party, but also having that third party who have their own brand mm. um, that's sort of in direct competition in a way with the wheels that they're making for for Chris King. And then now we have another CSS rim that is being marketed under the Bontrager brand that is also in some ways kind of going to be cross-shopped against that Chris King. Uh, I mean, the hubs are obviously different um, for some people if they're going to want a more premium hub or like a colored hub or something like that. Um, you know, they're going to get a Chris King. Yeah. Um, because that that option is there, whereas that's not there with Bond Trigger. All those hubs are just black. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's going to be harder and harder to differentiate between a lot of these wheels moving forward, I think. So it is going to be a question of, like you said, warranties and stuff like that. I mean, I think a lot of it, though, is it's just like a different customer base. Like the person that wants Chris King or an Envy or yeah. whatever other expensive wheel are like seeking out aftermarket wheels to make their bike unique. Where bond trigger wheel is more of this comes stock on a trek, and if you own a trek, this is a 
easy upgrade to get from the same bike shop that you got your bike from. Um, yeah, so I think I, it's just much more. It's more mass appeal. Yeah, I mean, I run Bontrager mountain bike wheels on on my Ibis and uh, a, a Pinarello shop that I worked at, which was a Trek dealer, used to spec most of its Pinarello dogmas with Bontrager wheels, just because they were exceptionally good. Um, yeah, I mean, like, so mine, yeah, I've got these wheels on a Specialized, right? Like, yeah. and I have no problem with that. But there are a lot of people out there that are very yes, like. No, I agree. Particular, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, good on good on track for making this move. But uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see what it does to the broader strategy of of others using these rooms. We will find out, and I, I think it's worth noting too that actually Zach, looking at your bike right in front of me, uh, I, I will say I didn't even realize you had those wheels on there because of the way that Bontrager has done those logos on there. It's they're very low on, key. They're black on black. Yeah, it's like kind of like a gloss logo on a matte rim. Yeah, but like barely gloss almost. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's like, dusty, so it's even harder to see. Yeah, but. yeah. So like you, it's it's just some black carbon fiber wheel. Who yeah. knew? Yep. It's a shame they don't have mm. like glaring white logos painted across them. <laughs> I'm sure you can get those as stickers. Mm. Optional. Mm. Op- optional upgrade. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. Um, I mean, such such graphics are quite a, a proven tactic. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, well, I actually have a set of these wheels in for review as well. Um, so yeah, I guess maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll tap Zach for his, his, uh, experience on these as I wrap these up. So we'll hear more from, from us soon on that. So stay tuned. All right. Well, uh, moving on from Bontrager and speaking of gravel, we have some new tires from Maxis, the Reaver. Uh, I actually don't know what a Reaver is. Dave, do you? Uh, it's Google. Hmm. I I hadn't got that far. (laughs) All right. Well, while Zach is looking at what a reaver is, well, what are we looking at? So with this the time? first thing that comes up is one who reaves. Oh, that's a very border, raider or cattle thief. Hmm. Hmm. It's also a video game, apparently. I'm guessing it's probably not named after the video game. No. All right. Cattle, All right cattle thief. We'll go with that. Okay. Uh, maybe also a play on their beaver tire. Mm-hmm. Either way, what is the reaver, the tire, Dave? Uh, it's a new race gravel tire. So it is basically pitched as a faster, racier version of the Rambler, which is one of my favorite gravel tires. But uh, yeah, so this is a bit more of a semi-slick uh, center tread with with knobs on the side. And uh, yeah, it's it's pitched to be lighter, faster rolling, and more durable than the than that Rambler. Um, yeah, and it's it's seen some race use already in the recent months, and now it's available. Uh, I think just to to you know one thing to really note about this tire is it is it does have that super fine center tread uh, that's actually pretty wide as far as how how wide the semi slick section is, mm. uh, but the side knobs are actually pretty pronounced on yep. that. So uh, was it the receptor I think from Maxis that is mm-hmm. kind of semi slick all across the whole thing? Uh, yeah. Um, so I think this is almost sort of similar to the receptor in like the middle three quarters of the tread almost, but mm. like the, the outer bit, like they're, they're a real shoulder knob. So, you know, when you lay the thing over in a corner, it actually seems like it might bite. See, I don't like that though. Like, cause you almost never ride your gravel bike just on dirt. True. Like, and you're cornering on pavement and you fold it up, like roll the bike over as you go around the corner. And then those like shoulder knobs just kind of fold out from under you. And it feels super squirmy. So I have not ridden this tire, but like usually tires with similar like large shoulder knobs on pavement are not good. Hmm. It'd be interesting. Dare I say, yeah, I, I think 
Max has probably but, have tested that that case yeah. scenario and probably have uh yeah, have designed the shoulder knob to not not squirm or fold in that way. But uh yeah. Well either way, I mean this it's I mean, not yeah, really like that said, I do love a file tread. Like yeah. this is which is basically what this is, just a mm. big cyclocross tire. So yeah, I mean none, none of us have tried this tire yet, but it certainly at least based on my experience with the receptor, uh again, which is somewhat similar center tread at least, um, I would definitely expect this river to be pretty wicked fast at least in a straight line i'm getting real richy betamax vibes from it oh mm. no it's like the old maxis the orflam like mm. they just need to bring that back mm-hmm. like they have the new aspen st that isn't actually for sale yeah which is the mountain bike version and this yeah. is seemingly the gravel version of that yeah that's fair but yeah but uh yeah so it's available in tan and black sidewalls and only tubeless of course why would you want anything else? And uh, yes, it's 700 only in 40, 40 or 45 mil width. Yep. Looks pretty good. Uh, mm. I'd like to try some at some point. Um, next up on news, uh, this is kind of interesting. And this isn't necessarily news so much as it is maybe a little bit of speculation, I guess. Um, so I think a lot of people listening to the show will be familiar with the Supercaz brand. Uh, I'm actually looking at some Supercaz bar tape and plugs on Zach's bike here. Um, and... Uh, Dave, maybe why don't, why don't you tell us what, what you saw here? Because they had a interesting interesting little pseudo-reveal on Instagram the other day. Yeah, they posted on Instagram uh, a call-out for influencers and athletes to work with them on launching eyewear in 2024, which is not a very quiet place to announce such a thing. Uh, dare I say it was incredibly intentional. Uh, but yeah, it's... For me, it's it's interesting that, I mean, it's just an interesting category for for Supercaz to get into f- from my point of view. And I mean, obviously, they they think there's money to be had, which is why they're getting into the category. But we've also seen a lot of other entrants into the eyewear category. And I guess, yeah, I wanted to bring this up to to pose the question, which is, how do you think the other entrants like Skikon and and others have have gone, and do you think they're profitable? I mean, I guess the question is, how profitable do you really need to be? Because um, I, mean, I wear, well, I guess one consistent thing I see in Supercaz's product range, and it, it's pretty broad. I think you've got just kind of stuff all over the place. But um, I feel like most of the items that they have, it, it's almost like they, it's almost like they specialize in very, mm, very high profit, <laughs> <laughs> in very, very high profit margin. Component, yes. Uh, yes. That's ranges. a fair, fair comment. Yeah. So uh, I feel like this is kind of fitting for them, and and Supi has almost being kind of more of a like a fashion slash style brand. I feel like eyewear is almost like a natural progression for them mm. because it's very much a fashion and style item, um, and it is something that has a, kind of like a notoriously high profit margin in terms of Huge how much it costs margin. to produce yeah. versus what it co- what it what they're what they typically sell for. Yeah. Um, I mean, my guess, just given the Supercaz brand is that these are probably not going to be super low key in terms of styling. <laughs> Mm-mm. Nope. I mean, I, if I were them, I, I mean, I guess as far as competing brands, I would say the ones that would be maybe real interested to see what happens here would be brands like hundred percent or, uh, uh, like coup or, mm-hmm. um, uh, What's the enduro bro brand? Bro brand. Pit Viper. Uh, Pit Viper. There you go. Pit Viper. I, I could imagine <laughs> yeah. there being Pit Viper 
vibes in this product range? Yeah. It's like their whole range of products, not just eyewear, is just very strange. It's, I mean, well, I, I mean, it is kind of strange, but that being said, they do make good bar tape. Yeah, I like the bar tape. Um, the rest so, of it's all weird, though. And then the bar tape, it's like, okay, are you aftermarket like your own company? But then it's also OE spec on a lot of specialized bikes. So it's like, mm-hmm. are you also just specialized? Well, so, so Dave, do you want to reveal the secret here? Huge secret. Uh, the the founder's son owns the found sorry Mike Sinyard his son is the owner of Supercaz so Mike Sinyard is the founder of Specialized and I I actually am blanking on what the son's name is I'm sorry James do you know who the founder of Supercaz is oh, I don't remember what his name is I don't remember but his it's name also now like that's funny to me too <laughs> because like Specialized tried eyewear and failed with it. So then they're like, let's try again. Well, but it's almost like it wasn't worth it for them, though, because... Anth- um, Anthony. Get- Sorry, Anthony. Anthony ah, Sinead. okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so the specialized eyewear, I actually thought was pretty good, yeah, it was good back stuff, then. But like, so was Giro's and every, like, yeah, every other yeah, company but, that came out with eyewear and failed. But these are really, again, these are really big companies. And I just wonder if a certain, if a segment has to be of a, like a certain size, like a certain market share for them to be... F- to be interested for it to be worthwhile for it to not be sort of like a drag on the brand necessarily. Um, whereas a company like Supercaz, they can, they can afford in a lot of ways to branch out into another niche like this and not have it be like a huge splash. Mm. And they can probably just have it be just some sort of small segment of their, of their portfolio and then be perfectly okay with it. Because again, like what, what we were talking here is like, what does Supercaz do? Like what's their primary thing? I don't know. Bar tape, I guess. Bottle cages. Yeah, bright colors. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a funny category to me because it's like that that call out like we're looking for influencers and we're looking for pro teams. It's, it's so the eyewear category. It's like I can't think of any other product category that gives away more product. Um, it's yeah, it's <laughs> it's very uh, and that that comes back to it being just super high margin, right? Like it's there are there is a lot of margin in eyewear, um, but yeah, it's you look historically at like Oakley and you know you used to have Oakley at at pro mountain bike races just with like bags and bags of eyewear for each race. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of product turnover in there. It's just it, that sort of thing is just hilarious to me because. <clears throat> Because if you look at, uh, you know, in terms of marketing companies that just do an awful lot of marketing giveaway and stuff like that, and companies that seem to have an awful, awful lot of cash to throw around, like if mm-hmm. you look at Red Bull, for example, mm-hmm. there's also apparently an awful lot of money to be made or profit margin in energy drinks mm-hmm. because each one of those cans sells for what? I don't know, three, four, five bucks or whatever. I can't remember now. No idea. Um, don't purchase Red Bull. And I know it doesn't cost that much to make. Like yeah. the can might even cost more than the than the liquid that's inside of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we look at what the Red Bull brand is associated with now, which is basically everything in action sports, and they seem to be doing just fine. So is eyewear the energy drink of cycling? Could be. I mean, I mean, for, the, ener- for, the energy drink is the energy drink of cycling because yeah. they sponsor a lot of <laughs> a lot of cycling. But I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm kind of amused by how many new entrants we see into the eyewear space. And I'm, I'm, I question wild. how many are actually making it work. Right. That'll be the interesting thing. Like how long do they have sunglasses listed on their website for sale? Hmm. I mean, we'll find out soon enough, right? I mean, 2024 is not that far away, really. Um, and, you know, how much, you know, when you have such a low 
per cost, like per, per item cost, like, like, like eyewear has, I mean, how long does it take to pay for those molds and pay for whatever design and development work you have to do? Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, we'll see. Yeah, we will see. So anyway, if you are an influencer yeah, and you're interested in maybe picking up some Supercast stuff, I guess reach out to Supercast and see what they have to say. Mm. They said no DMs. Don't DM them. You got to email. Be a <laughs> professional about it. Mm. Okay. I'm going to DM them. I'm an influencer. I can be? Sure. Why not? <laughs> well, you said you had to have more than 25,000 followers. I do. You do? I do. Oh, so James, I have no idea James, how. James had some, uh, some, some reels go, go, real, <laughs> go real viral. I had, I, I had two reels from Eurobike that went nuts. Yeah. They're like the the views are totally are are in the well into the millions at this point. It's absurd. And <laughs> people people I, I, really I, like I the the hub cutaways, <laughs> the hub cutaways, and they apparently and and I would say a lot of people have, uh, well, at least certainly maybe maybe my crowd. I guess a lot of people maybe aren't super familiar with high pivot mountain bikes. Mm. So anyway, mm. how much stuff. how much hate did you get on your your personal Instagram page for? For, for posting that lull bikes reel was there where is there a lot of confusion a lot of a lot of people uh, angry about l- a complicated looking bike they didn't understand looking at the comments for that and they, there definitely are a lot of comments still that pop up on that um there are a lot of people who for sure don't really actually know what it is mm. um there are a lot of people who are for sure throwing up their hands and just being like this is the most terrible thing ever kill it with fire so on and so forth uh, and then the people who know what it is, they're kind of like, well, it's not really all that different than what's already out there. Like, there's actually not that many more moving pieces than what you would have in, a, in any other high pivot bike. Um, so those people are kind of more like, uh, I'm actually really curious to try it. Mm. Okay. Anyway. So I I think mm. I'm more in the latter camp. So yeah, fair enough. Well, there you go. James the Influencer. <laughs> yeah. 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 Look at me. Big, big money. Big money. Um, all right. Last bit of news here. Uh, Dave, this one's actually also on you. This was something that you just wrote an article about uh, on Escape Collective uh, about the new internal routing components from Columbus that is kind of specifically aimed at smaller custom builders, actually. Mm. Yeah. Tritico. What is this? Uh, Tritico. It's a new product family from them. And uh, yeah, Columbus have been doing carbon forks for a while. Uh, admittedly, not Italian made, rather using uh, various contract manufacturers in in Asia, but uh, yeah, they, they've expanded on that lineup to have a an integrated cabling solution, which yeah, as you said, is specifically designed for their their hand hand built uh, custom frame business partners. Uh, really, those using their tubing. So one thing to really note for this is, whereas most brands that are using fully internal routing with lines that go through the headset. Um, that upper headset assembly is typically oversized to make room to have everything pass through. Um, Columbus has designed their system so that it runs through a standard inch and an eighth bearing up top. And the way that they're doing that is they have sort of like two channels that are molded into the steer tube, just a regular inch and eighth tapered steer tube. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they have their own headset. They have their own stem design. Um, there is some pretty neat design uh i guess some engineering that's that's incorporated into this setup is so uh we actually of course consulted with Raul Lucher who he said that he didn't really see too much alarming as far as the stereo tube design which is good to hear um but one thing that's kind of neat with the, the stem design is it has a uh, a configurable shim that's between the stem and the stereo tube that lets you adjust the angle actually kind of a fair bit 
um, which is nice in the sense that it gives you a little bit of extra height adjustment without having to deal with without without having to worry about whether or not you have enough slack in the hydraulic lines. Yeah, so you, the the stem has two optional uh, inserts. You can either have one that uh, either keeps the stem length the same, or you flip it and it adds five millimeters to the stem length. Uh, or you can swap out that shim, and then you can have that um, that adjust uh, that that angle adjust, which adds an additional um, negative five degree angle onto the the already negative eight degree angled stem. So yeah, it just gives it a bit more dump. Um, but you can't run them both. You pick one or the other. It looks suspiciously like Envy's original aero stem. Yeah, I'm sure there's there some, uh, some similarities for sure. Plenty of inspiration uh, happening within this with this design. Like you know, they're not the first to put uh, internal cabling through a one and one a headset either. You know, like no. BMC and and Cervelo and a few other brands. Factor have have done this already. Uh, it's just I'd say looking at it, I think Columbus have really done their research and they're in the shape um, and how much material they've put into the steerer. It looks pretty generous. Yeah, and it's also worth mentioning that with that whole angle adjustable shim. I mean, Specialized did that ages ago yeah. on tons and tons and tons of bikes. Yeah. So it, that that in and of itself is not a new a new feature. No. Um. So the stem is carbon fiber. Uh, one thing that I did see some people commenting on in the article that you wrote is that. Um, some people are finding it a little bit odd that this is something that is aimed at smaller custom builders to a large extent, uh, many of whom are going to be working in metal, so titanium, steel, aluminum, whatever. Um, and yet this stem kind of has a little bit of a different design language or shape than what you would typically see in a lot of those tubular bikes. So yeah. um, that, that that's maybe the only miss that I see because – um, like the, the first time I saw it at the made show was on, um, uh, one of the frames from that Taiwanese builder, Ioquin. Mm-hmm. Um, and the frame was absolutely beautiful. The whole execution was super clean, tidy. Um, but then that stem was kind of like slightly curved and then it kind of, it was a little bit of a weird contrast with all the straight, smaller diameter Yeah, it's tubes. kind of even got like a bit of like a quill stem style, like a old campy quill stem style to it. It's, it's like can kind of see it working on some bikes and definitely not on others i think what's really interesting is that this uh the the fork design lets you use any one and one eighth stem anyone any standard stem will actually bolt to the fork it's just columbus couldn't really guarantee whether the whatever stem you use has enough uh angle or, or room for you to then route the hoses out of that stem uh so they can't you know, they can't guarantee that, but they can say, you know, you can bolt any stem to it. It's just then a matter of the builder figuring out if the hoses will fit. So I'm sure builders will figure out other stems that they can use, other handlebars that they can use of the system. Uh, yeah, and it's just a matter of if you can feed those hoses smoothly onto the steerer, then it's good to go. Uh, the other element that's really interesting is Columbus aren't actually specking any headset with this. It's, again, that is up to the builder. Yes, with the stems, are they planning on offering like an aluminum stem for different price points and like no, different nothing, aesthetics? Or nothing yet. I mean, it's possible something might come in future, especially if enough builders say we don't like the stem, we don't right. like the aesthetics <laughs> of it. Uh, but yeah, nothing at the moment. I mean, the the product range is pretty pretty limited at this time. Gotcha. But I mean, this is something that was essentially just announced, and. I'd have to imagine that Columbus has the resources to expand on this range if it's received well. And I think overall yeah. it has been received pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would have to think that 
if I were a smaller builder, it would be nice to have a pretty much turnkey system available that lets me use that smaller diameter upper headset. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, as far as I can tell anyway, I feel like this is something that is going to expand moving forward. That'd be my guess anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Columbus, you know, they, they, they mentioned to me that they wanted something they had demanded from their, their builders to, to create a fork system that, that worked better than pre-existing options. There was a lot of builders out there that kind of want to offer internal cabling to their customers, but don't like the one in a half inch headset bearing that was required with a lot of, you know, say FSA system or, or similar where, uh, yeah, those, those systems using a round steerer tube and therefore need an oversized bearing. They don't like the aesthetic of that. So Columbus was basically mentioning that, you know, they've got 250 plus customers waiting for this, which, you know, builders waiting for this, which is not a small number. I mean, it's, it's a niche market, but that's, that that's demand. I guess so. Like, let's say I wanted to use one of these on a bike. Mm-hmm. Do the the frame half? What changes are needed to be made? Nothing. Like in terms of allowing the brake hose to fit into the down tube, or using like T forty seven bottom brackets or something to allow the brake hose to fit through and have room to go into the chainstay or anything like that. I mean, or I, I just... kind of see that as a, a stylistic preference of the builder, right? Like you know, currently you have some builders that want to keep the hoses hidden until the chainstay and other builders purposefully exit and go around the bottom bracket uh and i think that won't change i think yeah the the only point of contention is how they get that rear brake hose off of the fork steerer like you know whether they you know the angle that they choose to do that at will be interesting but and and whether they're doing anything to mitigate the risk of the hose rubbing the steerer from there uh, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, like, there's nothing stopping you from fitting this this fork and cockpit to an existing bike. I guess I'm just thinking, like most metal bikes, there is a like a vent hole essentially, like where the down say the down tube is welded into the head tube. But that hole is pretty small usually, mm-hmm. but it's also really sharp because you just drill through it. Yeah, and like obviously, like preventing brake hoses getting cut through is a big thing for sure i mean there would definitely have to be some provisions made just for the idea that you would have a brake hose running through that area in general Mm. um like same thing with the down tube head tube junction that you'd have to make sure that there's no sharp edges there and stuff because you know that hose is going to be moving around in that area quite a bit as you steer um but aside from that as dave mentioned i don't as far as i know i don't think that there are any real requirements at least i guess it was whether columbus had like here's our recommended way of doing this or it's like here's a fork yeah. Do what you want. Yeah, I not, not get, that I've seen. Yeah. I, yeah. I kind of get the impression that it's more the latter. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you know, here's this thing, you figure it out. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's your insurance policy now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know because they also do tube sets, right? Like, I didn't know if they had, like, here's this tube set we recommend and this bottom bracket shell or something that makes your life a lot easier to oh, weld it together. Question. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I've suddenly heard, like, with Columbus that they have, like, recommended orientations with their tubes and that kind of thing and builders flip them and do all sorts of things like it, it you oh, know, yeah. they don't have they any control have. over what is done with their product uh, yeah. but yeah i think it they probably do have uh an idea of how it should be used and and i'm sure that's provided to builders but i think we'll probably see some pretty big variations over the exact implementation of the system for sure for sure either way it does look pretty neat yeah uh, it looks tidy and again and the aesthetic issues aside with the you know straight tube versus slightly curved stem yeah it looks promising. Yeah. So the other, we'll see. The other thing is a lot of these builders are making their own stems these days. So maybe that's the mm-hmm. answer to the stem. True. <laughs> is uh, just weld your own. Make your own. Yeah. 
Well, and, and as you said, I mean, Columbus doesn't really limit necessarily what STEM, like they don't say that you have to use their STEM no. with, this, with this thing. Um, so I'd expect there's going to be quite a bit of variation out there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's good to, good to have yeah. options, even though it's, it's more options in, in an area we don't necessarily like, but this will look cool. It does. It, it will. It will. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it for the news segment of the show. We're actually coming up on the full show time here anyway. Uh, Dave, what you got on your mind this week? Uh, I've been shopping for cheap torque wrenches. Surprise. Mm. So in the US, I let's wind back a little bit. A while ago, I bought an Amazon Basics torque wrench because uh, someone asked me what I thought of it, and I didn't know, so I bought one. Uh, and then while I was in the US, I went to Harbor Freight, everyone's favorite high-quality tool shop. Uh, Had you been before? What's that? Had you ever been before? Oh, yeah, a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel icky going in there. And then yeah. um, <laughs> I just so happened, I didn't expect to. I, I went in with the plan to buy a torque wrench, and they had a sale on. I got this torque wrench for $12. <laughs> <laughs> what a deal. Yeah. Uh, so I've got that. And then I've been looking on Amazon and AliExpress for kind of like the the most popular most commonly bought torque wrenches. And I was actually kind of surprised that the Amazon ones were not as cheap as I had expected, at least the popular ones. Uh, so I didn't want to spend $80. So instead I went to AliExpress and I spent $40 Australian uh, for a torque wrench with bits. And now when that arrives, I will test them and compare them to more expensive torque wrenches. And then we will have a feature on whether cheap torque wrenches are uh, a false economy or not. Would you use the $12 ones? On carbon handlebars. Well, I, I guess we're going to find out. I guess we'll find out. I'm going to... Yeah. On, on your personal bike today, would you use them? Not until I calibrate test them. Okay. Yeah. But um, Better question. Mm-hmm. Better question. Assuming after you're done testing it, and assuming it actually is calibrated pretty well. Yeah. And again, if you go on the assumption that, that you don't just have a good one and that they're pretty much all that good. Yeah, that's the problem, uh, right? You don't know. True, but I mean, I guess you can say that with anything, right? Like you don't know if a $12 torque wrench is consistent with all the other ones out there or if a $200 torque wrench is consistent with all the, all the other ones out but there, you right? have a you have a better, a better sense that the $200 you, one is more likely to be more consistent. You would like to believe it yes. anyway. Yes. But you don't know. You I don't, don't know because uh, I don't, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think yeah, I do own more $200 torque wrenches than I own $12 <laughs> torque wrenches. But uh, yes. Anyway... Point being, if that twelve dollar torque wrench ends up being surprisingly good, what do you tell people if they're buying if they want to buy a torque wrench? Like, do you mm. just tell people like just buy the twelve dollar torque yep. twelve dollar torque wrench? I mean, if it, it turns out to be awesome, then yes. Um, For twelve dollars, is this like a beam torque wrench or is this like actual oh no, ratcheting? It's, it's a fully adjustable ratcheting click style torque wrench. Hell yeah, yeah, that's amazing, and it's very heavy, <laughs> uh, and it's it's actually a design I'd tested. <laughs> years and years ago for bike radar and it didn't fare so well so let's see how this one goes but yeah mm. okay oh i'm so so eagerly awaiting this one mm. should be should be good mm. should be good it's a big it's a big one it's Dude. i will say like initial impressions of that uh it'll scratch your paint if you accidentally rub it against a bike what else did you buy from harbor freight that is that is <laughs> that is all i that oh, is come it on. there's no way yeah there's no way you went through harbor freight and bought one 12 dollar torque wrench yep Sad. And, I, and while I was there, I helped someone, uh, an, a mechanic, in uh, looking for a socket. Um, I, helped, <laughs> I helped them. Uh, I provided a service to Harbor Freight. 
got them on the right drive size. I was, I was, yeah, was very good. Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Huh. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked, Dave. I'm, I, I am, I am absolutely amazed at your level of self-restraint. Although, as you said, you do feel icky going to Harbor Freight, so yeah. maybe you felt bad even paying twelve dollars for that thing. Oh. Although, I, I do have that little compact ratchet set up from their, yes. their kind of higher end yes. Icon line. Yeah, you that is one really nice. Yeah, that's great. So anything from like the Icon line is actually very good. Uh, and I did consider buying an Icon torque wrench, but they're actually not all that cheap. They're like one hundred and eighty dollars US, and yeah. and they you know they're designed to compete against Snap On. And I actually my experience with that Icon level stuff is it is actually very good. Uh, but yeah, I kind of don't need to prove that to myself. So, there. Did you buy any other tools in the US that you can't buy in Australia? Uh, not so much that I can't buy in Australia. Just more that convenience allowed me to. So <laughs> yeah. I, I came home with uh with two hammers. <laughs> like, so let's so let's uh, I I arrived in the US with a, a bottle of whiskey and a lot of chocolate to give out to hand out and um my case was 16 kilograms and when i went home it was 23 kilograms (laughs) without the bottle of whiskey in it yeah full of tools yeah perfect um and and some scratch stuff yes so james did give me like six pounds or eight pounds of scratch stuff that i that i'd bought so that was probably (laughs) the the heaviest most space occupying thing but uh yeah, two hammers was pretty pretty humorous. So a titanium one from Rollingdale, which is pretty sweet, and uh, a stainless steel uh, one from Abbey Bike Tools, which is sized like their titanium hammer. So it's like a nice. small stainless steel. So yeah, very very cool little hammers. Um, yeah, and a massive torque wrench from Harbor Freight. <laughs> <laughs> so needless heavy. to say, needless to say, you checked that bag. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay uh, i'm sure Zach, security had... did too <laughs> yeah i'm sure what, yeah. what the heck is in this guy's bag oh it's dave rome <laughs> uh zach do you have anything on your mind this week not really i mean just all the cool bikes that you guys saw that's pretty fun but otherwise just been busy working and riding bikes fair enough yeah. hard to argue with that one mm. yeah. what uh, uh did you see any bikes from the coverage that you're like oh yeah i'd love to build one or i'd be keen to that's something i'd I mean, recommend i would say because i saw it in person it's maybe more i don't know like it's different looking at photos on the internet mm. but mosaic they had like an open house the week before and they have these new ones new paint job with the logos are like splatter paint mm-hmm. so good oh man it's so cool i really want one of those yeah yeah they were uh exceptionally nice they, they did a mountain bike fork with the fox logos matching yep. oh man Really good. Yeah. Very common sentiment. Yeah. That yeah. that fox fork. Uh, those logos were painted. Yeah. 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 Not just take the easy way of getting custom graphics printed. No, they were like painted on, and is you can even feel the hmm. the difference in this. Oh my! Definitely putting some clear protective tape over those around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eek. I mean, that's yeah. That stands out, but that's like I said because I saw it in person. Like I think there's a bit of a difference when you can touch touch it rather than just looking at photos but hmm. they're all really cool yeah yeah uh well dave it turns out you're not the only one who got some fun new tools oh, recently what did you get what did you so get? i i i fulfilled a uh decade plus long desire now because i, I it's been uh how long has it been now it's been 17 years i guess is that right no it's 
holy cow, yeah, it's been 17 years since I've worked in a, in a, in a shop as a shop mechanic full-time. And that's basically the last time I have worked on like a proper park shop style steel work stand. It's either like, you know, bolted to the ground or affixed to some huge heavy steel plate. And uh, I've tried nearly every variety of really nice folding stand since then. Like most recently I had one of those feedback, um, feedback HD stands, which is fantastic. Um, so overbuilt. It is for a full very, stand. It is it's very heavy, but yeah. but I still have always always wanted like a park shop yeah. stand, shop, a yeah. shop stand, and I finally got one. Hey, finally got one. Nice. Um, it is extremely heavy because yep. I got the steel plate. Yeah, I, I haven't bolted it to my garage floor yep. or anything. Well, you've yet. got to bolt it, then you can just like really wail on it. I, I probably will at some point once I decide exactly where it's going to go. I'm pretty sure where it's going to go, but like yeah, like that's pretty permanent. Yeah, <laughs> um, mine's but, uh, mine's on a steel plate. But but I have forgotten just how incredibly sturdy it is. Like you said, that feedback HD stand is incredibly overbuilt for a folding stand, but it's still a folding stand. Yep. And it doesn't compare to just a yep. huge pile of Did you go like steel. find a bike that's been sitting in the creek for years and try and get the bottom bracket out? Just like test how <laughs> no, solid it not is? Yet. I, 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 no, I, I, I haven't yet, uh, but maybe I should. Just like test how how much force you can put into it. Oh, that, that would be, that would be a good test. Yeah. Because, uh, like you, you definitely can reef on that stand harder than any portable stand. That's for sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just like, I, I got it all put together and set up in my garage and I, I will admit that I sort of just sat on my little rolling stool and sort of just looked at it for a few minutes. Like, mm. like, Oh man, like I have been looking forward to this day for achieved. a very long time. Yeah. What I, head are you going to use? Uh, the same one that you so, have, Zach, yeah. the, 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 uh, I can't remember what what I can't remember the, what the part number is, but the not the old school one, not the old school one. No, yeah. not like yeah. not like the big lever clamp thing. Yeah, the kind of the, the gentler one. This topic's interesting because it's it's one of those things that like everyone that owns a work stand has no idea what you're talking about or what the difference could be because <laughs> they haven't felt it. So they're they're just at home really happy with their Aldi stand. Uh, like yeah, this is great. It holds the bike, and it's like no, 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 you don't like yeah. the ability to like turn a bike upside down and not have to worry about the stand tipping over is, <laughs> yes. is such yeah. a huge benefit or the ability to, yeah, as, as Zach said, like actually load, put a load down onto the bike or, or use a hammer and again, not feel the bike like bounce up and down for the next two minutes is huge. Like it's, it's just, yeah, it completely changes the experience of working on a bike to have a stand like this. So uh, I get you, James. I understand why this is exciting. Um, Oh, it's so exciting! It is like yeah. such such a, a luxury that again, like I, I have been dreaming of that day for years and years and years. I have a question for you because I, I have seen your garage. It's it's a uh, it's a mess. <laughs> um, and, uh, you say seventeen years. In that seventeen years, how many times did you trip over the the leg of your feedback sports stand? You know, almost never. Actually, <laughs> oh, okay. I think probably because it's been set up there for so long that I almost just sort of like intuitively step over it. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I also actually have my work stand when I, when I was using, using tripod stands anyway, I had mine set up, um, so that the, the, the straight leg was kind of going out the back, which maybe mm. from a stability standpoint, isn't always the best no. depending on what you're working on. Yeah. Um, it's easier to trip over though when you're like walking around a garage. Well, I couldn't do that because on the other side of the stand was just always full of crap. So oh, <laughs> that wasn't really a concern. <laughs> Yeah, if James so anyway. ever like dropped a bolt from above the bike, oh, dear it just God. like it just <laughs> so many forever. things have to be removed it's, from around the stand. 
it's definitely happened before, for sure, as you can imagine. Uh, well, yeah, welcome, welcome to the club of of uh, single single support steel stands. Oh, so ready, so mm. ready. It's it's uh, so so blissful. Mm. I love it. Nice. Anyway, that was just my little share. So uh, Dave, let's go ahead and wrap up pretty soon here. Do you have a PSA yeah. this week? Yeah, it was a pretty quick one uh, related to torque wrenches, given those are on my mind. Uh, it's, a, it's a reminder, and this is something that I know most people don't do. Uh, torque wrenches, at least if, uh, if it's a beam-style torque wrench, you don't need to worry about it. But if your torque wrench makes a click when it reaches its set torque... Uh, that click happens with a with a pivot point and with a spring, and all of that stuff freezes up without use uh, and gets stiffer, uh, just like any other, I guess, moving component. So, yeah, it's important that you uh, are aware of that. And if you haven't used your torque wrench for a while, even a week or two, uh, or the whole of a winter, uh, it's important that you give it a few uh, clicks at a lower torque. Um, before you actually try to use it on a component, so mm, interesting. I would uh, I would find a bolt that you know is torqued really tight, like a crank bolt or something like that, and set your torque wrench to a a lower torque number and just click away on it five to ten times, and then your your torque wrench is is good. And when you store your torque wrench, you crank it all the way to the max, right? All the way to the max, exactly. All the way, yeah. yeah. Ideally, past the max, because <laughs> yeah, okay, that'll max. that'll actually stop you from accidentally over tightening bolts in future with that torque wrench, because it'll always <laughs> under torque there on. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, yes. So yeah, always uh, when storing a torque wrench, back it down to the the lowest marked number on it, just to take the tension off that spring. Uh, Dave, I'm curious. Do you set a calendar reminder on your phone or something like that to go through your 19 torque wrenches and and click through all of them? No, I just do it daily. Um, yeah. And I wonder why you can't get things done. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. Um, I mean, I have my torque wrenches that I use regularly, which I don't, I don't need to worry about. But then there are some, especially when I'm testing torque wrench and doing calibrate and testing on them. Um, I'll, I, I now do uh, a few, you know, a dozen or so clicks to, to give them a chance to settle in. Um, and yeah, it's it's a, quite surprising. I've seen this on a torque mach- torque test machine where you get a brand new torque wrench and you you click it and at you know say when you're expecting to see five newton meters, you'll see something like seven newton meters or eight newton meters. And so yeah, and then after three or four clicks, it settles down pretty quickly down to where you expect it to be. So yeah, it, this is a PSA for a reason. Mm. All right, that's a good one, Dave. Yeah, well nice. done. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this week's show, I think. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, we skipped over the big the big sell where I kind of pitched to people that you should join escapecollected.com. Um, so I guess I'm sort of doing that now, I guess. If you're listening to this show, you regularly enjoy Geek Warning, and you're not yet a member of Escape Collective, please just go ahead and head to uh, escapecollective.com slash join and consider signing up. A whole bunch of options that you can that you can go through to become a member. Uh, gain access to all of our wonderful content, our Discord channel, and stuff like that. Um, but even if you are not a member, if you have no plans to become a member, uh, please at least head over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review, because that does help people find Geek Morning. So that that, that that does help us out. So anyway, with that, uh, that'll wrap up. Again, as I said we, earlier, we should have Ronan back on the show next week, so that'll be nice to have him back. Uh, and in the meantime, we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. Yes. 